0: Thanks to the Yanks, usually presented over some of these stations at 9 p.m. Mountain Wartime, 8 p.m. Pacific Wartime, and Inner Sanctum, usually presented by the makers of Palm Olive Shave Cream over some of these stations at 9 30 p.m. Mountain Wartime, 8 30 p.m. Pacific Wartime, will not be heard tonight. Your hit parade, usually presented over some of these stations at 9 p.m. Pacific Wartime, will be heard immediately following the special broadcast. America salutes the President's
1: Birthday.
2: Saturday, January 29th, 1944, 11.15 p.m. Eastern Wartime. We're tuned into WEAF in New York, as the March of Dimes is about to broadcast America salutes the President in honor of FDR's 62nd birthday.
0: America salutes the President's birthday. From New York, Paul Whiteman, Georgia Gibbs, Jimmy Durante, Gary Moore, Mary Pickford, and Lily Pone. From Washington, the United States Marine Band and Basil O'Connor. From London, Edward R. Morrow and Major Morton Wilson. From the West Coast, Bob Hope, Francis Langford, Frank Sinatra, Dinah Shore, Eddie Catt, Jerry Colonna.
3: Where were you when Pearl Harbor was bombed? Pearl Harbor, I was on my way to the golf course when... That's uh, yes. true. No, no I was like on that. my way to the golf course when I heard uh, FDR declare war. When the thing happened, when they announced. Yeah, they right. interrupted
1: Sunday afternoon. And I man. was
3: on my way to Lakeside Golf Course in Birdman, and I heard that thing. Yeah. And uh, then I heard our, our president, FDR, announce. It. Yeah. President Roosevelt
1: to aid the vital and humane cause which, next to global peace, is closest to his heart the fight against infantile paralysis. Birthday greetings go out from all over the land to the man in the White House and take the form of contributions to the March of Dimes to help banish the scourge of infantile paralysis from our land. I only wish our enemies could look in on these birthday parties tonight. They'd learn something. They'd learn you can't subjugate the American spirit. You can't defeat a people who find time to pause in the midst of the greatest war effort the world has ever known, to devote themselves to charity, to humanity. But now, on with our party here at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York, the biggest and best birthday party the world has ever seen. Paul Whiteman, the undisputed king of jazz, gets our party underway with I Got Rhythm.
2: On January 29th. The Battle of the Green Islands began with the US and New Zealand forces invading portions of Papua New Guinea. Meanwhile, Soviet forces captured the town of Trudoba in Russia, and the British sank a German U-boat at the Bay of Biscay in the Celtic Sea. The next day, FDR's birthday, was also the 11th anniversary of the Nazi Party's rise to power in Germany. Hitler gave a radio address, spending little time talking about the war, and mostly talking of Germany being Europe's only defender against communism. But despite Hitler's statements, the tide of war was slowly turning in favor of the Allies. When the March of Dimes pitched to Hollywood, it was Bob Hope who emceed the program. Hollywood is the
4: next port of call on our salute to the President's birthday. So here we go for 20 star-studded minutes of mirth and melody with Movieland's top-notch performers, including Bob Hope, Frank Sinatra, Dinah Shore, Francis Langford, Jerry Colonna, Axel Stordahl, and his orchestra. Okay,
5: Hollywood. Thank you very much. Thank you. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob March of Dimes Hope. Telling all you generous Americans to send the president a dime for a birthday present so some kid can have a future. Well, here I am in the March of Dimes. You know what a dime is. That's a little thing that when you leave it on a plate for a Hollywood waiter, he comes up, bows low and funny, and then spits right in your eye. <laughs> But it's an honor to be on this big March of Dimes show. They picked me because there are some song numbers to be introduced, and I was the only one that could pronounce the name of that new hit, uh, Messamabucha, uh, 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 I had relatives on the committee. <laughs> I, and there are a lot of stars on this program, and a big crowd was waiting outside the stage door. I didn't realize I was so popular. You should have seen the autograph Hans collect around me. But they left on account of a sneaky thing Frank Sinatra did. He, he told them he was Frank Sinatra. One fan ran up and tore the shirt off my back, and I said, souvenir? He said, no, my laundry didn't come back this way. A fan tried to tear the shirt off of Crosby's back the other night, but he got an awful shock. The wiring short-circuited.)
6: <laughs>
5: but everyone in Hollywood is contributing to this cause. Bing auctioned off one of his best horses, took the money, added three cents, and turned in his dime.) A <laughs> lot of losers here tonight, huh? <laughs> I started to go around and collect dimes, but everybody in Hollywood is sick, and I'm afraid to go near them. Dorothy L'Amour has a cold. Hedy Lamar has a flu. Gypsy Rose Lee has a stripped throat.
6: <laughs> but,
4: but
5: all the Republicans mail their dimes to President Roosevelt in Washington. It's the only chance they get to see any change in the White House. <laughs> Americans were worried about the soldier vote, so they took a poll to some of the army camps last week. Wilkie got 100,000 votes, Roosevelt 150,000, and Betty Grable 9 million. (laughs) And tonight is the president's birthday, too, and I just found out the president doesn't bother blowing out the candles on his cake. He just waits for Eleanor to go by and the breeze takes it from there.
2: Bob Hope was, at this moment, not only America's most popular comedian, he was also quickly gaining a reputation as a man who'd go anywhere in the world to put on a show for U.S. troops. Tonight, we'll focus on hope, war, and a rapidly changing world.
1: Was there any one of the trips that was any more memorable than
3: Yeah, I the think others? so. I think the one we did with England and North Africa in 43, because we experienced something that I wasn't looking for, and that was a lot of bombing, you know. I dove into the ditch ahead of Langford and things like that, some, uh, some ero- other heroic adventures, you know? <laughs> But uh, we were bombed in Bazerdi and we were bombed in Palermo and it's in the book. I tried to get under the bed. I didn't know whether to get to between the spring or the mattress or <laughs> oh, because they were bombing daddy and I, I was just laying there saying my whole life passed before me. Actually, it was my lunch, but... Uh, <laughs> It was something else, Ike, we saw Ike uh, the day, the next a couple of days later in Algiers, he said, I understand you've been in a couple of bombers. I said, yeah, it's not my racket. He said, but don't worry about it here. Hell, we haven't had a bombing here for four months, you know. And that night about three o'clock, wow, wow, I got up and Peppers knocking on my door, said, hey, get Francis Langford, this is it. And I got it, we went down to the wine cellar the Letty Hotel, which they were using for a bomb shelter. And I'm sitting there, you know, with no seatbelt, just sitting there. And they're going boom, bum, bum, boom, 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 boom. And Stubby K walked into the room, which made the whole thing. We didn't even know he was in the country, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell are you doing here? Well, I'm with the unit too. Where do you sit? Right there, buddy. And the whole, whole, you. I'll let you know. and the thing finished after about an hour and a half. You know, it was all clear, and we went upstairs. And Quentin Reynolds, we'd met them the day before, and Clark Lee, and H.R. Knickerbocker, and Steinbeck went to their room to talk about the thing. They never got out of bed. They slept through the whole thing. I said, wait a minute, you don't get up for a bombing? He said, what's the difference? If you're gonna die, die in bed. So I'll know if we ever have another war. That's (laughs) stay in your ceiling. Of course, uh, course a wine cellar isn't a bad place to be during a bombing either. No, not at all, because the whole hotel lands on you like that, (laughs) boom. (laughs) And at the undertakers, they slip you under the door, you know,
5: (laughs) Thanks for the memory Welcome to Breaking Walls
2: episode 148 My name is James Scully Tonight on Breaking Walls we'll spend February of 1944 with America's top comedian Bob Hope as he whisks himself around the country entertaining troops and broadcasting to the masses If this is your first time listening to Breaking Walls welcome to the show You can find this series on every podcasting platform and at TheWallBreakers.com. Tonight's opening song is Bob Hope's famous duet with Shirley Ross, Thanks for the Memory, from his breakout performance in the big broadcast of
5: 1938.
2: It was composed by Ralph Ranger, with lyrics by Leo Robin, and became Bob Hope's signature tune.
5: Oh,
3: well, that's life, I guess.
2: I love your dress. Do you? It's pretty.
6: Thanks. For the memory.
2: Join the Breaking Walls Facebook group to keep in touch with news, snippets, photos, and other additions to the podcast at facebook.com slash groups slash the wall breakers. Thank you so much.
6: Thanks for the memory.
2: And the first eight chapters of Burning Gotham are out everywhere you can get a podcast and at burninggotham.com. And Cuban rum and it was a 2022 official Tribeca Best Film festival audio selection oh, you can also support these shows for as little as one dollar per month at patreon.com/ the wallbreakers
0: with that pair of gay pajamas that you bought and never wore
5: say by the way whatever became of those pajamas
0: huh huh? We said goodbye with a highball.
5: Then I got as high as a steeple. Did you? But we were intelligent people. If Columbus had sailed on this boat, the Indians would still own America.
0: <laughs> come, come, darling. You've been in worse fixes than this.
5: Yeah, we have, haven't we?
6: Sure.
0: We always managed to wiggle out somehow, though.
5: Say, remember that deputy sheriff in New Haven without his pants? <laughs> oh, <laughs> and the time I walked down the. Oh,
0: this is no time to start remembering. Now go on and make your announcement.
3: Can you remember England? Do you have any memories? Of... No. Only thing I remember, I lived in Bristol and I protected my dog one day and I got hit with a rock right there, and it's still there. The uh, little. Yeah, in l- little indentation there. Protected your dog from. Uh, well, homework. some kids were throwing rocks at it, you know, and I ran out to grab him. I got beaned, I think that's what helped me be a comedian. I've never been the same since.
2: (laughs) He was born Leslie Towns Hope on May 29, 1903 in Eltham, England. The fifth of seven sons, his parents were William Henry Hope, a stonemason from Somerset, and Welsh mother Avis, a light opera singer who later became a cleaner. The family eventually moved to Bristol for a time before emigrating to the US aboard the SS Philadelphia, passing through Ellis Island on March 30th, 1908, before settling in Cleveland, Ohio. What kind of a
3: kid were you though? Did you play games like other kids, Cowboys and Indians? Ah, uh... uh, no. I started very early as a sort of a rat. I was a rat of the neighborhood. I moved to Cleveland, you know. And I started going to the YMCA and I was a pretty fast runner and I had a buddy that could run faster than I could. Mm-hmm. And we used to line up all the picnics in the summertime and we'd win all the races. You know, they had good prizes, $10, $5, $3. This when I was about that age, 14, 15. So we'd, there were two places. There was Euclid Beach and Luna Park. And we'd find out what time the athletic events were, an American Steel & Wire, you know, or the butcher picnic or something. Yeah. We'd call up and we'd arrange the races, see? Fix them? Yeah, we'd call up and say, uh, what time are the races there? And the guy say, three o'clock. Oh, that's a shame. What do you mean it's a shame? Well, we wanted to come out and take pictures of the head of the athletic events. And if you could do it like at 4 o'clock at your place, we're going to Luna Park at 3, see? So we go to Luna Park. The guy said, oh, that's fine, we'll do that, because he wanted to get his friend. <laughs> yeah. So we go to Luna Park and get in all the races, win all the money, then get on the streetcar and go to Euclid Beach and win all the money there. And you schedule them the way you want to? You schedule them on the phone. Rats. <laughs> that is sneaky.
2: It's a wonder you didn't... My original up- name
3: was Lucky Luciano.
2: <laughs> he earned pocket money by singing, dancing, and performing. Winning a prize in 1915 for his impersonation of Charlie Chaplin.
3: Now I went to high school and was going into college, and then uh, then I went to uh, dancing school, and I got so many offers that I, you know, I went right into uh, showbiz, dancing school. Yeah. And didn't you teach at it? A- yeah, a while? after a while, I did. I taught. Jeez, you got a nasty memory. That's right. You really have. No, uh, well, I, we we've looked into your past. I know that you'd fought for a while professionally. I was, uh, not professionally, of- never. Not professionally, a so bad much. amateur. I fought under the name of Packy East. That is the weirdest name for a fighter yeah. I've ever heard. How did you come up with that? Well, a friend of mine fought under the name of Packy West. And for a gag, I went down and signed up as Packy East. And I was beautiful, I really was. I fought as uh, Rembrandt East for a while. I was on the canvas so much.
6: <laughs> <laughs>
3: you can feel that coming,
2: you? Yeah. In December 1920, Hope and his brothers became U.S. citizens when their British parents became naturalized Americans. The next year, he was assisting his brother with the electric company when a horrific accident crushed his face, the reconstruction of which led to his distinctive appearance. I've had a very bad accident. When I was uh,
3: about 15, I was helping my brother in uh, Columbus, Ohio, clean some uh, lines, even the electric company there. Uh And I was up in a tree tying a rope on the tree, after they'd cut it away quite a bit, you know, and they'd cut it away too much. And I rode the tree down, and this is what happened. You mean- Seriously, that's how I got this nose. They set my nose on the hospital floor.
2: That's, that's a that's true, true story, true story. Yeah. And here, here,
3: you see, this? See. I covered it now with a little pencil. See there? See this little scar here? Little scar here, yeah. See this one here? Yeah. You want to kiss me? Uh, what? <laughs> no, it's true. And uh, this is it. This is what I wound up with. They didn't give me a mirror in the hospital for about seven weeks, and I finally got a load of it after it was kind of healed up, and I said, well, I guess I'll have to go with NBC. So that's the story of the Hope Knows. I've never heard that before. No, that's true.
2: That's true. I've got brothers who are fairly normal-looking. In the 1920s, Hope formed a Dance Act called the Dance Medians with George Byrne and the Hilton sisters conjoined twins who performed a tap-dancing routine on the Vaudeville circuit. He acted in a double with Byrne, eventually making his way to New York. The act flopped, pushing Hope to strike out on his own, changing his first name to Bob in 1929.
3: Actually, it started in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, where I made up my mind to do my single act, and then I went to... Uh... Cleveland, my hometown, so I could be near the food while I was breaking in, you know. What did it? What made you decide to go into the... What made me? We had a double act. And we worked up here at B.S. Mosses Franklin when it was big time. We were on number two. And we went out there. We thought we had an act. And we did the act and we rushed out twice to get two bows. Had to work real fast. And after the show, the manager came up. He had hope and burn, and we, opened, we rushed to the staircase. We were on about the third or fourth floor. And We said, yes, we thought it was another day somewhere or something. you know. And he said, you can at least put on some makeup and look good. So I got the idea we ought to change our act or something, you know. <laughs> so we went out to the West, and I, I got this chance to announce in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. I got a couple of laughs. That encouraged me. So I went to Cleveland and broke in my act, and I... We used to do some great jokes like, Where do the bugs go in the wintertime? You can search me. You know, stuff like that. (laughs) I actually wasn't too hungry, but I starved in Chicago. I stood around on the streets of Chicago trying to get a date. I just changed my name from Leslie Towns Hope to Bob Hope. Leslie Townes. Good old Bob, because it sounded rugged, you know. And I was just about ready to give up and go back home with my big sack of laundry. And I met a friend and I got a date. Started in there. A date in the show, but you mean a job? Yeah, yeah a job. Yeah. I got twenty-five dollars, which was just like you know, a thousand dollars to me because I had been making ten dollars. And I played Detroit, Michigan last weekend, state fair, and I got a lot of money. But I stood in the wings and I said, just think, here I played. In 1928, I was making $5, and I'd go on for nothing, just to practice, you know? Mm-hmm. But when I was being paid, I'd get $5 or $10. And I sat there going, on, and believe me, I got a lot of money at Detroit. And I figured it out, though. After taxes, I was getting about the same. <laughs> 25, <laughs> About $10. Yeah. Take home.
2: Hope spent five years on the vaudeville Circuit filling an RKO screen test in 1930, but he broke out on Broadway, first in Ballyhoo of 1932, and then opposite Tamara Dressen and Fred McMurray in Roberta, which played 294 times between November of 1933 and July of 1934. Meanwhile, in 1932, he appeared on Major Bo's Capital Family Hour, and later on Rudy Valley's Fleischman's Eist Hour on June 3, 1933, alongside Jimmy Wallington. (laughs)
0: introducing now Bob Hope, one of the most promising of the younger comics. Bob comes to us with the highest possible recommendations. My old friends Willie and Eugene Howard are his sponsors. He shared with them the comedy assignment at Ballyhoo last winter, you may remember. This is Bob Hope. Hello, Jimmy. Hello, boy. Well, hello,
4: Bob. Hello, hello. What do you think? Is this January? What's the idea (laughs) of the fur coat? Oh, I expected a cold reception. No kidding. I really did. And you were disappointed. Oh, but I have a little cold, Jimmy. I have a cold. Oh, you have a cold, eh? What are you taking for it? Well, make me an offer. (laughs) You know, that cigar you're smoking won't help you very much. Well, give a man enough rope and he'll smoke himself to death. Say, what kind of a cigar is that? Oh, this here, this is a dandelion. Oh, a dandelion. Yeah, I was going to pick up a smaller one, but I saw this dandelion there. (laughs) Oh. Well, it's uh, a weed. There's no doubt about that. Yes, sir. Yes, indeed. Say, don't you find cigars hard on the eyes? Do I? I almost went blind before I found this one. That's a beautiful fur coat that you were wearing there. What is it, skunk? Yeah, skunk. I thought you'd get rid of it.
5: (laughs) (laughs) No, Jimmy, that's a present from my father. When my father gave me this coat, I said, Dad... Isn't it wonderful what a uh, a beautiful coat you can get from such a foul-smelling beast?
4: And he said, listen, son, I don't want any thanks, but I would like a little respect. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I tell you, Bob, you know, in spite of all the things you said about that coat, I think you look very well in it. Oh, but I'm shaky, Jimmy. I had a terrible experience last night. You did, eh? What happened? Yes, sir. I was held up by two men. No, held up by two (laughs) men? Where? All the way home. Boy, What a night.
2: You oh, did a
3: take I, when you heard Rosengarden oh, playing. Oh, I, I love it. It finally, finally came to me. I woke up. That was it. Roberta. That's the thing I did in Roberta. Let's begin. When was that? When did you first do that? That was 1933 uh, and four. Uh, 1933
1: and four. You know, it would sound funny if somebody said one of the greatest comedians England has ever produced, Mr. Bob Hope.
3: And yet, I don't know how many Americans know that you were born over there. Well, I've been over here so long. You know, I came over when I was four because... Uh, I left England because I knew there was very little chance of me becoming king. <laughs> or <laughs> little did I know I could go across the channel to Denmark and become queen. <laughs> you're setting you're me up, up stuff, for you know? right? yeah. 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 But I love this because that was one of the great thrills of my career, being in that show in Roberta at the New Amsterdam Theater, standing backstage listening to Russell Bennett orchestrations of Jerome Kern's music and I'll come back to Broadway if I can get another setup like that." In
2: 1933, he married his vaudeville partner, Grace Troxell. They divorced the next year, and Hope was soon with another performer, Dolores Reed. Though they spent the rest of their lives together, and Hope was notoriously unfaithful, a legal record of their marriage is vague at best. The couple would eventually adopt four children. In 1934, Hope signed a six-short contract with Educational Pictures. Radio soon followed. By then, he'd been developing performing chops so strong he could sing, dance, or act in any number of ways. On Friday, January 4, 1935, over NBC's Blue Network, Hope debuted in the Intimate Review. It was sponsored by the Emerson Drug Company for Bramo Seltzer.
0: The Intimate Review, presented by Dromo Seltzer, the dependable relief for so many kinds of
6: headaches. Tonight,
0: Dromo Seltzer brings you a new 1935 edition of The Intimate Review. In addition to Jane Froman, Al Goodman and his Dromo Seltzer Orchestra. We also have a surprise for you. A new master of ceremonies, Bob Hope. But before I turn the microphone over to Bob, Al Goodman is going to play Stay as Sweet as You Are.
3: I think comedians have to understand acting of all kinds, you know, because before you can satirize anything or burlesque it, you have to know what you're doing, you know?
0: And you're not trained as an
3: actor? You never had acting lessons? No, but I I did get a lot of experience on the stage, you know, because I was started with a tabloid musical company, and they were amazed. First time I went on to uh, rehearse Roberta, for instance, Jerome Kern and Otto Harback said, How can you walk on the stage? Because they caught me at the Palace in Vaudeville, you know? Yeah. And they said, how can you walk on the stage and just be at ease and act like that? I said, well, I was with a tab show for two years when I started, and I did everything in that show. I did leading man, I did blackface comedy, I'd do a Russian general, I sang in the quartet, i danced, I played saxophone, very good. They used to chase me from town to town. Someone asked if you were going to play the saxophone. Uh, they would to yeah, know where no, that is. not. I'm not. No, I'm, not. <laughs> I'm cured. What? but that's the thing that everybody should do if they want to, you know, really <coughs> go into pictures or anything, get that kind it of experience.
0: And now it gives me great pleasure to introduce our guest master of ceremonies, Bob Hope, whom you'll no doubt remember from many Broadway hits. Ballyhoo of 1932, that beautiful operetta, Roberta, and the comedy star of that current laugh hit now on Broadway, Say When, Bob Hope.
5: Thanks, Fred. Thanks a lot for that beautiful introduction, but you stopped too soon. You forgot to mention some of the other shows I've been in. Uh, You should thank me again, Bob. I saw those shows. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, nice chummy program you folks have here. I should have brought my brass knuckles. In case anybody came in late, this is the Broma Seltzer Intimate Review. It's quite a show. In fact, it's the biggest intimate review I've ever seen. It's really colossal in a small way. Why, right now, the opening number is on. Twelve beautiful girls are doing a lovely dance. Of course you can't hear them It's a soft shoe dance (laughs) And next week we're going to have The newest sensation The bubble dance A girl dancing with a big bubble However this being an intimate review We're cutting it down A midget with a marble (laughs) Now as you know We have the beautiful Jane Froman In our review And also Al Goodman And his orchestra I'm very glad to be here On a show with Al Goodman And his boys Al's an old friend of mine We live at the same hotel
2: Al has one of the better rooms He has a room with a window this first series was short-lived. Ratings were mediocre, but Hope found this first radio foil: comedian Patricia Wilder, who, with her thick southern accent, went by Honey Child.
5: Everyone these days is doing- The Intimate
2: Review went off the air in April. But on September 14, 1935, Hope was back on radio over CBS with the Atlantic family. While he was on for CBS in 1936, Hope starred on Broadway in Ziegfeld Follies with Fannie Bryce and in Cole Porter's Red Hot and Blue with Ethel Merman and Jimmy Durante.
3: That would be something if you came back to Broadway. You did well, uh, Red Hot and Blue on Broadway? Yeah, Freddie Lowe has been asking me to come back, and I would really, I'm serious about this. The next year, I'd like to come back and do a show on Broadway. That'd be sensational. I really would. Did you? Uh... I love, yeah. I love the stage. I just love it. You like I started there, I started yeah. on the stage. And I, I love it, and I, I love this the excitement of this theater, you know. The New Amsterdam, that's still down there on... Uh, 42nd, yeah. 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 C. Fields played there, Fanny Bryce, all those people. Oh, yeah. played it, with all yeah, of us. The people. band box. I played yeah. it with Fanny in the Follies at the Winter Garden, Fanny Bryce. And, uh, Did you get on well with her? Loved her. Yeah. We used to be very great friends. Used to go and She lived up in Central Park West. We used to have dinner together, you know. So yeah. a very, very wonderful town. Very funny,
2: uh, cute, yeah. The CBS show went off the air in September of 1936, but the next May 9th, 1937, Hope was back on radio for NBC's Blue Network on Sundays at 9pm with the Rippling Rhythm Review. During this run, Paramount beckoned. The big broadcast of 1938 was to begin filming, and Hope was offered a part. He moved to Hollywood, continuing his monologues by Transcontinental Wire. The Rippling Rhythm Review was canceled in September, but three months later, Hope joined the Dick Powell Variety Show on December 29, 1937. The big broadcast of 1938 was released on February 11, and suddenly, Hope was a huge star.
5: Well, that's that. Are you upset? Upset? What have I got to be upset about? I'm in the process of losing $50,000 on a boat that would need a handicap against a lame sardine. I go on the air in about two minutes, and none of my performers will perform because you talked out of turn. Well, all I said was that you were losing $50,000 on the race. And what did they say? Oh, they said you didn't have $50,000. Oh, they did, eh? And what did you say? Oh, I stuck up for you. I said you had more than $50,000, $10 of your own, and their salaries. (laughs) And what? Their salaries.
2: Bob Hope plays Buzz Fielding, OBC Radio MC, as a new $40 million radio-powered ocean liner the S.S. Gigantic, is about to race its rival, the S.S. Colossal, across the Atlantic from New York to France in two days. W.C. Fields plays both owners of each boat, twin brothers. Buzz is busy trying to juggle his three ex-wives, his lukewarm girlfriend Dorothy Windham, played by Dorothy L'Amour, and his inept microphone assistant. Buzz does his best throughout the voyage to announce the progress of the race and introduce a series of musical acts for both passengers and the radio audience. Meanwhile, Dorothy is romanced by First Officer Robert Hayes, just as Buzz and Cleo, played by Susan Ross, get sentimental about their broken marriage. Well, how do you do?
0: Could you please tell me where they have the entertainment?
5: The entertainment? Yes, you go right down the hall, and you... This is the entertainment. This is where the broadcast takes place, right here.
0: Oh, well, I'm honey child. I'd like to help you out.
5: Well, I don't need much help, but uh, what can you do?
0: Well, I'd like to sing. I want to be a singer in the worst
2: way. The success of the big broadcast of 1938 propelled Hope to a new comedy series in the fall. Mitchell Lyson,
3: the uh, yeah. director of our first picture, took me over across the street from Paramount to Lucy's Restaurant. And he said, I know you've been on the stage for a long time, but I want to tell you, in pictures, you work with your eyes, you act with your eyes. That's all he had to tell me. Cause I went right back to the stage. The first thing I didn't picture was thanks for the memory. And I threw my eyes all over the set. Some <laughs> of the grips were catching them upstairs, you know? And I was, thanks for the memory. And you can see it, if you ever see big broadcasts in 1938, dig my eyeballs, man. They change sockets once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> I want to Act with your eyes. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. it. Well, it really is the thing. If you, you do act with your eyes, as you know. But, but you were overacting with your eyes. Yeah, you, you can. But yeah. I was really yeah. rolling them around there.
2: On Tuesday, September 27, 1938, at 10 p.m., The Pepsodent Show, starring Bob Hope, took to the air. This is audio from the first episode.
0: Hope
5: is here for Pepsodent. Hope is here for Pepsodent. The Pepsodent Show, starring Bob Hope.
1: bid you all
0: hello and welcome to our
1: show may we present
0: for Pepsodent
6: a guy
5: you ought to know ah thank you so much tonight is the night and I hope you will tune in on us every Tuesday let's make it your chase away blues day by listening in when we begin How do you do ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Hope. (laughs) No, 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 not yet, Charlie. But don't leave. Got our signals mixed. Well, here we are with a brand new sponsor, a brand new program, a brand new cast and ready to tell some jokes. (laughs) I'm very happy to be back on the air again. I've been very busy all summer working on a few projects. do they want all those ditches for anyway? <laughs> but I'm happy. My sponsor's really a very nice fellow. We get along swell. All afternoon here at rehearsal, we were riding piggyback. <laughs> Playing piggyback. <laughs> he was riding me. <laughs> and to show you that I'm up to date this year, I'm starting a pension plan for old jokes. So if you hear me using a lot of old gags on the show, remember there's a reason. <laughs> it means $30 every Tuesday.
6: <laughs>
5: <laughs> Sorry, I don't We have a nice cast on the show, ladies and gentlemen, that consists of... The topper of the feminine stars of Hollywood, Miss Constance Bennett, Skinny Ennis and his band, Jerry Colonna, our seven swingsters, six hits and a miss, and yours truly, Bill Goodwin. Oh, thank you, Bill. That's our announcer, ladies and gentlemen, known to his intimates as Bill Teeth Goodwin. (laughs) Show me Teeth, Bill. That's enough, that's enough. Two more payments and they're his. Hey, he's... uh... (laughs) He's full of pep, isn't he? I'm a little tired myself. My uncle just left town. He was here with the American Legion Convention... He was in the Army. He was really one of the first men to go over the top. Somebody pushed him. But he's from Florida, and he spent most of his time while he was here dropping ice cubes out of the hotel window to make the people think it was hailing here in California. It was a nice quiet convention. The second night, the boys at the hotel gave the house detective 24 hours to get out of town. (laughs) Oh, but really, I want to thank the American Legion for getting me a half day off last week at Paramount they came over to the set I was working on and took the camera with them as a souvenir. <laughs> Paramount didn't mind, didn't mind that so much, but they'd be very thankful if the fellow from Texas would please bring back Dorothy L'Amour.
2: <laughs> that first season, Hope's 15.4 rating was good enough for 12th overall. The next year, he was up to 23.1 and 5th overall. In 1941, his rating rose to 26.6 and 4th overall. And finally, in 1942, his Crosley rating cracked 30 points, while his Hooper cracked 40. Hope's Pepsinet program soon began a five year run as radio's top show.